evening and happy Epiphany to you all. Today we're celebrating Epiphany, although the, the date always is uh, January 6th. This is the day when churches are celebrating it around the world. And uh, on the Feast of Epiphany, um, we celebrate this story of the gospel going to the Gentiles, or really the Gentiles coming to encounter Jesus in Bethlehem. So Epiphany is kind of like the Pentecost celebration of the Christmas season. It's the, the time when the good news of Jesus' birth is turned outward. Epiphany is from a Greek word that means rising or dawning or appearing. And um, it is the appearing of Jesus that begins to change everything. All the broken things in this world start to be made new. It's something that we heard about from Isaiah in the Old Testament reading, the, uh, the foretelling of this day. It would come to pass someday. Isaiah begins this way, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That's what we're celebrating today. Christ, the light of the world, came into the darkness, and he began to shine and to dispel the darkness. This is the beginning of the good news taking root in our world. We celebrate the Magi coming to worship him, coming a great distance uh, in order to encounter him, coming seeking the light. The sad thing about this day, though, is it also reminds us of those who were close to Jesus, who chose not to worship him, but who turned away and, in fact, uh, decided to try to kill him instead of worshiping him. They chose to wage war against Jesus. And from the very first Christmas all the way to today, this has been the choice that everyone has had to make, whether to respond to Jesus in worship or to wage war against him. Some welcome Jesus, others reject him. We all must choose how to respond to him. So tonight, at the beginning of a new year, at the beginning of a new decade, I want to consider this choice with you. It's a choice we all have to consider, how to respond to Jesus Will you welcome him as king, or will you reject him? And what we're going to do is take a good look at this passage from Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 2. I encourage you to take out one of these brand spanking new church Bibles uh, near you and turn to page 757. Uh, two things will be helpful to you tonight as we consider this passage together. The first thing is an open Bible, so you can follow along and see for yourself uh, what is said there. And the second thing is an open heart. And so let me pray as we begin. Lord, we thank you that you meet us in this place when we gather. You have met us here many times before. And we thank you that you listen when we pray and that you love to pour out your Holy Spirit upon those who ask. And so we cry out to you, Fill us with your spirit that we would be enlightened by you on this Epiphany Sunday. The light of Christ would come into our hearts and minds and shine in a way that we see you tonight. 
and that we choose to follow you tonight. This is our prayer, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I look at this passage that we read, and we'll work through it again together slowly tonight, I see that really there's the choice of the Magi, how they respond to Jesus. They, they choose to follow him. There's the choice of Herod and all Jerusalem, how they respond to Jesus. Uh, Herod rejects Jesus as king. And then it really comes down to us. How will we respond to Jesus? And so that's the, that's the plan for how we'll look at this passage together. Let's begin, first of all, in verse 1 of chapter 2 with the Magi's response. The Magi chose to worship Jesus as their king. If you look at this, um, you know, this day oftentimes is called Three Kings Day, not so much in the United States, but in a lot of other places around the world. Um, it's kind of an unfortunate name. It goes back to the, maybe the three gifts that are given, and that's because of those three gifts, there's an assumption that there were three magi who came. Um, the magi are not called kings in this passage. There are two kings that are mentioned in this passage, and we're going to look at those two kings. The magi are not included among them. The magi were uh, philosophers, sages, people who were good at interpreting signs in the heavens, signs in the stars, and um, they are the ones who respond uh, to the news about Jesus' birth. But they are not kings. But if you look at the passage, take a look at verses 1 and 2, look and see who the two kings are. Not three kings, but two kings. Look at who the two kings are who are mentioned here in these first two verses. Verse 1, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So you see the two kings here. The first king, verse 1, King Herod, also known as Herod the Great. Uh, Herod claimed to be king of the Jews, but he couldn't be because he wasn't Jewish. He was a Gentile, and uh, he was in power, but not rightfully so. He didn't have uh, the right to the throne. He wasn't the rightful heir. At best, Herod was merely a steward of the kingdom, awaiting the Messiah to come and rule. I'm allowed one Lord of the Rings reference a year, and here we go. Here it is. I'm going to use it up in 2020 already. Um, you, you think about Gondor. Gondor had a steward who was over it, who was to be ready when the return of the king happened, uh, when Aragorn came to reign. You remember there, if you know the story, remember there was a great amount of tension between the steward of Gondor and the rightful king um, when, when Aragorn returned. It's the same thing that's happening here. I know it's hard to understand the Bible, but thankfully the Lord of the Rings helps us so much. Um, so that's, that's what's going on here. Uh, at best, Herod the Great was a steward. In actuality, he was a wicked tyrant. He was a regional pawn of Rome, and he stayed in power uh, under the dominion of Rome. There's another king, though, that's mentioned in verse 2. You see that one? That's the one born king of the Jews, and that is Jesus, whom uh, Matthew has been talking about for the first chapter. Uh, first of all, in the genealogy, in the genealogy that he lays out very carefully, 
he explains that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, that Jesus is the son of David, which makes him the rightful king, and then he's the son of Abraham. He, he's actually Jewish, unlike Herod the Great. And then Matthew tells the story of how Jesus is born. Um, and now we come to the rest of the story in chapter 2. Um, which king did the Magi come to see? It wasn't Herod, was it? When they arrived in Jerusalem, they didn't seek out King Herod. They didn't seek an audience with him. They weren't looking for him. They were just simply asking around, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? They weren't looking for Herod. They were looking for Jesus, the Messiah. And why were they looking for him? See the end of verse 2? They came to worship him. Now, I know that's you're immediately thinking that they brought guitars and praise music. Um, that's actually not what they plan to do. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but our conception today of worship is so much smaller than what Matthew intended by the word. It's important to know that what Matthew intended with this word worship was that they brought all that they had. They brought not just their treasures to lay those before Jesus, but they brought their very lives, their allegiance, their loyalty to give to Jesus. That's what he meant and they meant by coming to worship him. Most people think that the Magi came from Persia um, and it would have taken them about a month to make the journey. Uh, I read an interesting article recently that they might have come from China uh, and this is based on some, um, some study of what the stars were doing back at that time and the possibility that there really was an alignment of stars that would have motivated uh, Chinese magi to make this journey. More like nine months to make the journey from China to Bethlehem or to Jerusalem first. Um, in any case, it's clear that they, they took a long time to come. They went to a tremendous amount of effort to come. They dropped whatever it was that they were doing, packed up their treasures, their lives, and they made this journey to Jerusalem a long, dangerous, and costly journey to Jesus. And why would they have done this? They were, they were weary of the darkness. They were longing for the light. And when they heard the news that Jesus had been born, this, the news of epiphany, that the light was beginning to shine, they responded by choosing to journey to Jesus and to worship him. That's the choice that they made. Now let's think about the other choice, Herod's response in verses 3 and following. Unlike the Magi, Herod didn't have far to go. He could have left his palace in Jerusalem and walked to Bethlehem in a couple of hours probably. He could have taken his chariot and been there very, very quickly. Herod did not choose to do so. Instead, as we read through the next few verses, he's first of all disturbed, then he's dense, and then he is deceptive. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. His initial reaction to the news of Jesus' birth is not joy. It's not a, a sense of, of awe and wonder and excitement, not a desire to worship, but He's disturbed. He's troubled. 
And he's troubled because this is the first news that he has heard, and he's heard it through the grapevine. It's going around through Jerusalem. These magi have come, and they're looking for a new king who's been born. And that caught Herod off guard. And Herod, you know, he, he had been playing at king of the Jews for so long that he was almost beginning to think that he was the rightful king. He'd almost forgotten that he was an imposter with no legitimate claim to the throne. Well, no wonder he was troubled. And not just Herod, but it says all Jerusalem also was troubled. Why was that? Well, Jerusalem was thriving in the days of Herod. The rest of the countryside was not. Everybody else was enslaved doing these projects that Herod was building. He was the mastermind of these enormous uh, public works, the building of the temple and the building of Masada and the building of a palace on the Mediterranean Sea. Um, all these things Herod was doing, and the city of Jerusalem, kind of the original capital city swamp, uh, was thriving as the money was rolling in, and the jobs uh, were everywhere. And so the people of Jerusalem were happy. They were happy with Herod. It didn't matter whether he was Jewish or not. It didn't matter whether he was the son of David or not. Uh, they were happy. They had a good thing going, and they didn't want uh, this, this good thing to be overturned. So they were disturbed, too, by the news of a new king. Herod would not have been as disturbed as he was had he not been so dense. And he was dense uh, because he hadn't read his Bible. Look at verses 4 through 6. Herod called the religious leaders together and asked where the Messiah was to be born, and they told him in Bethlehem, because that's what's written in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. We wouldn't expect our president to know Micah, chapter 5, but the, the king of the Jews better know Micah, chapter 5. It's the, it's the job of the king of the Jews, in fact, to copy out his own uh, copy of the scriptures, to write it out by hand, and to meditate on it day and night. That's a part of his vocation as the king of Israel. Herod most certainly never did this. He probably never got started on this. Um, he, he probably didn't even know who Micah was. Herod was absolutely clueless. You would think he would at least be conversant with the religious text that said where the Messiah was supposed to be born, but this was all news to him. He was so dense. He was clueless. He didn't know the word of God. And so he resorted to deception. Look at verse 8. Feigning piety, he told the Magi to go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Right? Not at all. That's not what he was planning. He did want to find Jesus, but he did not want to worship him. He wanted to murder him. And starting in verse 13, if we were to continue on with this chapter, we would see how Herod's plan unfolds. He's frustrated by a lack of information from the Magi, but he knows the vicinity and he knows about the age of the child. And so he sends uh, a band of marauders to murder all of the children there, the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem, from which Jesus barely escaped to Egypt of all places. Um, but Herod, by no means did he want to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill him. And why was that? Because 
as they say, two's company, right? Um, there's no room on the throne for both Herod and Jesus. And Herod wasn't about to relinquish his rule to anyone else. So instead of worshiping Jesus as the Magi did, Herod chose to worship Herod. That's who he loved. That's who he idolized. That was his choice. So it's the Feast of Epiphany, the unveiling of Jesus as the new king, not only for all Jews, but for all nations. And the question before us is how will we respond to the unveiling, to the appearing of Jesus? The Magi chose to worship Jesus. They dropped everything to make this long journey, whether a month or nine months or something in between. They came, as it says in verse 9, bringing these treasures, verse 10, with great joy, going into the house, verse 11, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him, and then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. That was their response, giving Jesus all that they had. Herod, on the other hand, rejected Jesus as king. He was unwilling to give Jesus his allegiance. He preferred to worship himself, and he sought to destroy Jesus. Fortunately, verse 12, the Magi were warned in a dream to go a different way, and so they did not uh, lead Herod to Jesus. How the Magi responded, how Herod responded, these are really the two options before us as well. Either to worship Jesus or to reject him. There's no stable in-between position between these two options. To regard Jesus as a nice guy and a great teacher is not really a possibility because it ignores what Jesus and what all of his followers said about him, namely that he came to rule. He came to be the king. If you take any time to study his teaching, then you'll know that he really does intend to rule over us. That's what he's saying in the Gospels, and that's what he is doing in the book of Revelation, and that's what everybody is talking about in between. That's what he came to do to rule over us in every possible way, over our possessions, over our relationships, over our bodies, our time, our hearts. He came to rule. So there's no in-between position to just say he was a good teacher, to treat him as a nice guy, and not either choose to worship him or to destroy him. You have to choose. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught about this. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or vice versa. And then he gave a special focus with regard to money. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. In other words, if money rules your life, then quite simply, God doesn't. You can imagine if Jesus gave the same sermon on the Mount of Capitol Hill rather than uh, hillside in Galilee, he might have had a different special focus. He might have focused more on the political idolatry of our city 
I could see him adding a special focus of saying something like, you cannot serve two masters regardless of your party affiliation. If political loyalties rule your life, then quite simply, God doesn't. In any case, the point that Jesus was making is you've got to serve somebody. Whether you are serving this idol, that idol, or the Lord. And any and every choice that you make regarding whom you serve has deadly consequences. Think again about the Magi and about Herod. For the Magi to choose to worship Jesus, that had deadly consequences. It meant that they were making a choice to die to themselves. It meant giving up their time and their treasures in order to make Jesus their king. It was deeply costly, but they were so weary of the darkness, so hungry to come into the light of Christ, that they were willing to die to themselves in order to come into the life of Jesus. They set everything else aside. They died to their own ambitions, their own priorities, and they came to him. For Herod, um, he was unwilling. And so he rejected Jesus, and that also was a deadly choice. It meant, first of all, closing himself off from God. From that point on, he was on his own. He's playing a role that he could never play successfully without the Lord. He was trying to be king without the aid of the legitimate king, something that would have been impossible. It's always impossible to rule, to rule well without connection to the Lord. It was a lonely and exhausting job, and in a very short time, Herod was dead. Both choices have deadly consequences, yet only one leads to abundant life, and that's the promise of all who make Jesus their king. Not only are you assured of eternal life forever, but you're also assured of a rich life now. As an adopted member of the family of God, you can experience a foretaste of that eternal life in the present. Because when Jesus takes the reins in our lives, when he becomes our king, then there's joy in the journey of walking with him. We have the privilege of knowing him, of serving him now, even as, it, as his kingdom continues to unfold and the light continues to spread into the darkness, we get to be a part of that. We get to experience that. And the experience of that is life. It's resurrection life. We get to experience resurrection wherever he goes. That, that life is springing forth out of death, out of our death, out of our death to self to follow him. At the beginning of a new year, the beginning of a whole new decade, will you consider making this choice? Maybe you have made it before. For most of us, it's a choice we continually make. Will you consider making that choice again, or perhaps for the first time, to lay down everything that you are, everything that you have, to lay it at Jesus' feet, to worship him.
That's what this passage is calling us all to do. It's so great that we have it at the beginning of the year every year. It's so great to come to this again. Will you make him king of your life? It would be a great day today, Epiphany, to make this choice, to lay aside everything else that holds you back and to follow him. If you make this decision and you want to pray with someone, I would be so glad to do this with you after the service or sometime in the week ahead. I just think about, as, I, as I've been thinking about this passage, I think about all the different times where uh, an awareness of the need to do this in my own life regarding one issue or another has sort of bubbled up into my consciousness and I've known now is a time where I have to get with the Lord, I have to make some changes, I have to declare him king over this area or that area. I can think of places where I've been, uh, the seasons of my life when this has happened, and how it's transformed my relationship with the Lord and with others because of it. Is the Lord calling you to do something like this tonight? It's a great day to make a decision like this. There's one other thing that's in this passage that I think is worth uh, highlighting before we close. Um, because there is a sadness to this passage, I think, um, with what feels like the majority who choose not to choose Jesus. Um, Herod and all Jerusalem versus a few magi. It's kind of sad when you think about it, but there's tremendous hope that's embedded in that sadness uh, because of the way the overall story of the Gospel of Matthew runs. Uh, perhaps you're discouraged because the people around you have made the same choice as Herod. Perhaps you're discouraged the people you've been praying for and sharing your faith with haven't made a decision for Christ. It's, it's a hard thing in this day and age to talk, people, talk to people about following him and to see them come to faith in Jesus. And so most people today do follow in the footsteps of Herod rather than the Magi. And it can be so discouraging to see this happen again and again, particularly people we've been praying for for years. If this is how you feel, if you're feeling discouraged, I want to show you this hopeful theme in this passage. And it's this, our Father is active in the world, and he's active not just in spite of those who reject Jesus, but in fact, through the rejection of Jesus. That's what this passage makes clear. Throughout this story and throughout the whole gospel, over and over again, we read that everything happens for a reason. Every single thing in Jesus' story happens for a reason, and it happens according to the word of God, just to fulfill this prophecy or that prophecy. It's all happening according to plan, and Jesus keeps being rescued, keeps being preserved, keeps safe again and again and again until he isn't. And when he is murdered, even that happens exactly according to plan. It all is happening for a reason. Because when Jesus is crucified, died, and buried, that doesn't take God by surprise. This also happens according to plan, so that through the death of Christ, we might be saved, and we might be raised to new life through him as he is raised from the dead.
And on Easter, when Jesus is raised, there's this deep assurance that God uses even the rejection of his son in order to redeem the world. Somehow there's hope in this, I find. Um, God is working through all things. This should, I think, encourage us to keep on sharing the good news with others, to keep on praying for others, and trusting that someday God will use all of this for his glory, and he will save those around us that we bring to him. So just a word of encouragement. But again, one last plea. How about you? How about you? Are you weary of the darkness and longing for the light? Are you ready to set aside everything else and to follow Jesus, to make him king of your life in the year ahead? If you made any New Year's resolutions, was this one of them to worship the king, to worship Jesus? That's that's the call, I think, of this passage and the call of the Lord upon us uh, tonight. I invite you to pray with me. And this is the cry of our hearts, Lord, that we would find you in the darkness, that we would come into the light of Christ and lay down all that we have and all that we are give it completely over to you and find salvation and eternal life in you. Pray that this would be the reason why we are here, the reason why we're here in this city, the reason why we're doing what we're doing. So we have become a part of your glorious kingdom and Jesus is our king. Lord, do this work in us, we pray, for your glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.